Now I got that out of the way. Some of the people say, well, you know, I wasn't thinking about that until you say, said that. Now I've got to look at you and think that. But anyways, so get past it. It's going to be okay. Um, we're continuing in First Peter chapter 3, so you can make your way over there. If you're regular here, you know that we've been in it for a little bit. Um, but if you're new, that's where we're at. And so um, there's a lot that we need to cover today. We're going to read the entire chapter. We're going to go through it as far as reading it. And so First um, Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with an incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do what is good and are not afraid of any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, and be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, on the contrary, blessings, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him uh, seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to any everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient. When once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, 
in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of the good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers have been made subject to him. Going back to verse 13 is where we'll be getting started there. At the time that Peter is writing this letter, to those who were of the dispersion, who were scattered abroad, to those who had been in Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He is writing this letter to them because persecution was now on the rise where they were at. Some of these believers who were in those areas now, which is in upper Turkey area, They had fled from Jerusalem when persecution had started there. So they understood what persecution was, but they had fled persecution. And now it had reached those areas and they are beginning to be persecuted. And, and, And what Peter is doing here as he's writing this letter to them, he is encouraging them by giving them or reminding them that no matter what they were facing, no matter what they were going through or what was going to come their way, they were to continue to do good. They were to continue to do the things that are decent and right in their life because they had been called to this. And this is an encouragement for us as well as Christians. We have been called to do what is good. We have been called to live a right and decent life as we've covered in the last few weeks. That's what we have been called to do. But we have been also called to obey the laws of the land. We have been called to be an example of Christ to to the world. So no matter what you're going through right now, the situation that you find yourself in, no matter what is coming your way, your, your calling has not changed. Because I think oftentimes when trials begin to come into our life, we begin to get weak in the faith. We begin to go back to what we know. And he is saying, it's, it, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. You are to continue to do what you have been called to do. And we have been called to suffer even. And even in your suffering, you are not to give up. You are to continue to proceed. You are to continue to, to hang in there. To not give up. You see, the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 3.12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now again, sometimes we look at persecution as like, well, we're not really being persecuted, but sometimes you're being oppressed, you're suffering, whether it's physical or emotional. There's things that are going on in your life that you feel like, ah, oh, it's so heavy. But guess what? People outside of Christ they go through sufferings as well. But it seems like when you become a Christian, it just seems like, man, the pressure just gets harder, doesn't it? It's like all of a sudden, as as soon as I wanted to do what was right, everything came against me, even my own friends or even family. All of a sudden, I desire to do what's good, right, and decent, even at my job, and all my coworkers is like, bro, why are you like you know, showing us up. It's like, well, I want to do what's good. 
And people come against you even for that. And I know that sometimes it's like, well, that's not like a lot of persecution, but it's oppression and it's, it's trials, it's suffering that people go through. But if you're not willing to live this kind of lifestyle, or you think that, that maybe you should be exempt from any kind of problems, suffering, trials, persecution then you're probably better off not following after Christ. You're you're, you're probably better off not calling yourself a Christian if you don't want to go through this. Because this is what we have been called to go through. This is our life. Now granted, man, we have blessings all the way around, but we go through trials each and every day. We have been called to react differently than the world reacts. Because when people oppress us, when people come against us, when people persecute us, we are told in the scriptures that we are to bless them. Not not return reviling for reviling or evil for evil or insult for insult. We're not to do that. The world does that. And so he's calling us as Christians, when you're going through this, you act different. You've been called to be different. Again, that's what we studied last week. When we're looking at, at, at the scriptures where it says, I don't want you to do this. On the contrary, bless them. Because you'll inherit the blessing. You see, we are to go against our sin nature. See, our sin nature, when somebody hurts us, we want to hurt them right back. <laughs> when somebody comes against us, we want to go against them. Because that's what our sin nature says that we should do. But see, we're to follow our new nature. That, that, that lives within us, the, the, as Christ lives within us, we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, as the, the scriptures tell us. That is what we're supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to do. And so he says in verse 13 here, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? And so he throws out this question as he's told us, Hey, act different, be different. He says, who's going to harm you if you do what's good? And I know that some people would be, would be kind of saying, well, there's a lot of people who would like to come against me for doing what's good. Again, some of my coworkers, they hate it. My family, you know, they don't invite me over anymore because I'm doing what is right. They get convicted every time I, I walk in the door and they feel like, oh, Mr. Goody Two-Shoes is here. I can't do this. I got to watch my lips, you know, and this and that. And so people are not inviting you to go do things any longer. And so you're going, man, that that hurts. (laughs) That hurts because they're not inviting me. And so, again, there are people who would come against you when you begin to stand up for righteousness. But that verse almost kind of reminds me because it's going like, well, who's going to hurt you? It's like, well, there's people that want to. But it reminded me also of what Romans 8.31 says, where it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And again, my thought is, well, there are a lot of people that want to be against me. There's a lot of people who, who come against me when I want to be on God's side. All of a sudden, my friends or even Satan himself can come against me because I want to do what's right. But... In the big scope of things, in the big picture, when we begin to look at the the whole thing, if God is on our side and His face is against those who do evil, as we just read, in the end, who wins and who loses? So, So you suffer somewhat here, 
But in the end, when it's all said and done, who wins and who loses? You know, Jesus said this in, in Matthew ten twenty eight. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We are not to fear what man says or does. We're not even to fear what Satan is capable of doing to us. We're not to fear them. It doesn't matter what they, they, they can do to us. Satan is so limited in what he can do for, to us. And so why do we fear? He can only destroy the body. <laughs> but he can't destroy the soul. You see, no one can really harm us in the long run. Oh, they can, they, they can hurt us. Take, for instance, Pastor Saeed, who is in prison right now in, in Iran. He, he has been tortured. I, I can assure you that he has been tortured. And, and the worst that they can do to him is that they kill him, right? Then what? Then what? And I could guarantee you that this man understands the ramifications of what he is up against. And I could, I could bet you that he is on his knees thanking God, glorifying God to be, to be found worthy to suffer for the gospel's sake. He understood what it meant to become a Christian or be a Christian going into a country like that. He understood. And so to me, I mean, not that we shouldn't be praying for him. Yes, pray for him. Pray for strength. Pray for his family that has to see all this or hear all this. But I can bet you, man, he is glorifying God. He's going glorifying God. He understands that what he goes through here is temporary. They cannot break that man. If anything, he is getting stronger day by day because of, of, of what he is going through. And he's not the only one. There's so many more brothers and sisters who are, who are suffering in that way. But this is what Paul says in Romans 8.18. 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. As much as this brother is going through and other brothers and sisters are going through, I could guarantee you, man, he's saying, this is nothing, Lord. If it's for you, Hallelujah. If it's, if it's to get the gospel out just by my name being mentioned on a regular basis in the news, <laughs> hallelujah, Lord. Glory to you, Lord, because this is just temporary. They cannot break his soul. And so when we have that kind of mindset in our lives, who can really harm us in this life? If we know that we are going to suffer as Christians... Who can really harm us? In the long run, who's who's going to break you? No one. If you understand that this is par for the course, (laughs) if you understand that this is what Christians go through, then again, whatever suffering we go through for righteousness sake, he says you are blessed. You are blessed. You are to be envied that you get to suffer for righteousness sake is, is what he's saying here. See, again, when we suffer, we oftentimes like, oh, oh and, we, and we become so depressed and so bummed out instead of saying rejoice. 
Rejoice. But, but I, I, wanna, I want you to understand, when you're suffering for righteousness' sake, <laughs> we're to rejoice. If you're suffering because you're a jerk or an idiot, in that sense, it's like, really? That's not what God would have you to do. But you're going, oh, I'm being so depressed, or, or so oppressed, or so, you know, Satan's just constantly at me. It's like, no, it's probably because the decisions that you're making are not godly, and you're saying that they're godly. They're not. See, when we suffer for righteousness' sake, we are blessed. That's where we need to be. Suffering for what is righteous. You see, because when we are suffering for righteousness sake, when God is on our side, because people are coming against us or oppressing us, whether it's here or in other parts of the world, He turns bad situations into blessings. He is able to use every suffering, every trial for His glory and for your good. He will not waste the suffering. <laughs> he will not waste the trial. He will use those kinds of things in our lives continuously because it will benefit you in the long run because it will grow you up as we go through these trials. In verse 15 where it says, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Sanctify the Lord God. A lot of other translations it says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And I like the way the, the Amplified puts this portion. It says, but in your hearts set Christ apart as holy and acknowledge Him as Lord. Guys, this is such an important verse for us as Christians. This is one of those verses that you need to know where it's at and what it's saying to us. It, it, it is so important because it reminds us what we are to do, what we are to continually do. And that is sanctify or set Christ apart in our heart. And we are to acknowledge Him as Lord of our heart. That He has that prominent place in our heart. That there is no room for nothing else or no one else when He is sanctified, when He is set apart to be in my heart, to take that place. In other words, Christ has that prominent place in our hearts that no one else should have. He, he has enveloped us in, in such a way. He, he, he rules and reigns in our hearts. I, I, I often use... The term like, you know, I, 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 I kind of have this, this, my heart's telling me to do this or to do that. Or, you know, I, I want you to know my heart. <laughs> I, I say that quite often. I want you to know what my, where my heart is at in this. And it's interesting in some of our, our board meetings, I, I tell our board members, oftentimes it's like, well, this is what, what, what I think is on my heart, you know. And I, 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 I say that because I know what's in my heart. He, he, I want him to have that prominent place in my heart that when I'm making decisions or having this on my heart or that on my heart, I want it to be coming from him. And oftentimes I won't be saying it's like, this is what the Lord says. Because if I'm wrong, well, it's, it's my heart. <laughs> I don't want to like, this is what the Lord says, and then it doesn't happen. It's like, um, I don't want him to look bad. And so oftentimes I won't use that term. I'll say, this is what I think my heart is saying. Because I want him to have that prominent place in my heart. I want him to envelop all my decisions. Not just 
in my personal life at home, but the decisions that go on here at the church. I want him to have that, that place of, that, that he rules and reigns and whatever we do is because we've acknowledged him as Lord and he is the one that's doing this work. If he is doing that, if he rules and reigns, then wouldn't it be obvious or wouldn't it be an obvious thing that when we do make decisions, it would reflect him? If he truly rules and reigns. Because again, taking this personal in your own heart, if, if you say that, that again, he rules and reigns, then shouldn't it be reflecting him? I mean, if, if it looks like a duck, and, and it, it acts like a duck, and quacks like a duck, isn't it a duck? Right? If I say, I have received Jesus... If I say that, that, that I have or I am following Jesus and I, that I have Jesus in my heart, shouldn't I be doing and acting like Jesus? Should, shouldn't Jesus be more prominent in my decisions? When, when, when I make certain decisions in my own personal life, shouldn't it be like looking what Jesus would be doing? I, I, I hope you follow me in, in what I'm saying here. I didn't throw you off with that whole duck business there. <laughs> but when we have Jesus, the Lord Jesus, sanctified in our hearts, then we turn everything over to Him as we're making these decisions. Every, everything, every thought, it's like, Lord, what do you think? Lord, what do you think? <laughs> You know, you're, you're acknowledging Him in all your ways and, and you're wanting Him to direct your path, as it says in, in Proverbs six or 3, 6. We are wanting to please Him if He truly has that prominent place in our hearts. And whatever is on my heart <laughs> is because I think He's laid it on my heart because He's prominent in that place. And whatever, he, whatever I do, I want to please Him and I want to glorify Him to it. it. It means that we fear displeasing Him by making rash decisions in that sense or, or decisions that are not godly. We, we, we get, kind of get convicted in our hearts because it's like, oh, this was so fleshly. <laughs> this decision was just so of the flesh. You see, we fear displeasing Him. When, when we have this approach in our life or this mindset, it kind of simplifies our life, guys. If we're truly putting Jesus in that prominent place in our heart, we're sanctifying Him, setting Him apart. It's, it, it simplifies our life because everything I want to do, <laughs> I want to please Him in. Whatever decisions I'm making for me and my family, I want to please Him in those kinds of decisions, the decisions that are being made here at the church. I want to please Him in what we're doing, not please man, not please my own self in any of those things. So when we have that mindset, (laughs) it makes life simple. If we truly sanctify Him in our hearts, 
then we should always be ready to talk about and or give an answer for the hope that is in our hearts. If he truly has that prominent place, then I should be ready to talk about him at any, at, at any time. Anything that has to do with the hope that lies within me, I should be able to talk about it because it's in my heart. It's embedded in my heart. You see, we, we ready ourselves with so many things. And I know that sometimes we, we need to ready ourselves because it has to do with our job or our business or, or our families or our hobbies or whatever we like to do. We want to know all about it. And somebody asks you a question about those things and it's like, bam, 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 bam. You're just like shooting it out because it's so embedded in your heart. You understand the business. You understand the sport. You understand those kinds of things. And we could tell you and we can explain why we do it, how we do it, when we do it and where we do it. Because it's so much in our heart. You know, oftentimes when you're talking to some, some, you know, talking to people and they're like kind of stumbling and kind of, uh, kind of hemming and hawing. Politicians are good at this, you know, because, you know, they, they, they really don't want to tell you what they really mean. And so they kind of have to like, it's like that is not in your heart. Because if they tell you what's really on their heart, man, it'll just come out. Boom, 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 boom. They know about it. But oftentimes, again, we can do it with everything, but oftentimes when it comes to explaining about the hope that we have in Christ, we just don't know enough. It's like, why not? If you say that you're a Christian, if you say that you have accepted Jesus and you receive him, you're a follower of him, why isn't it that easy to talk about it? How is it that it's not coming out of your mouth more readily? How is it that you're not ready to give a defense for, for what you believe in? I, I don't mean to, to make this a put down in any sense, in that sense, but I do want, want it to be an exhortation that you would really know what you believe and why you believe it. And it would be so ready to come out, man. You're just looking for opportunities. Somebody ask me, <laughs> just ask me about the hope that is within me. But if, if we are able to give a defense, and that word defense is, is an answer, and that's where we get the word apologetics from. And the word apologetics doesn't mean to like apologize. <laughs> it means to defend. Okay, And if we are able to give a defense, it doesn't mean that it has to end up in an argument either. We, we, we don't give a defense to, to win an argument. We want to give a defense to win souls into the kingdom of heaven. So we don't have to fight about it. You know, so often, I mean, gosh, I'll tell you, I mean, I, I, I like to argue about these things too, but I, I have been learning throughout the years. It's like, you know, if they know enough to fight against me about the gospel, then maybe, you know, I'm not going to fight about it. You know already. God knows. <laughs> I don't want to get in an argument. I don't want to walk away, you know, feeling like, man, I just beat that cat up, man, with a word, man. I just like totally dominated the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to. Because Peter says, no, if you're going to give a defense, do it with meekness and fear. In other words, courtesy and respectfully. That's what those two words mean courteously and respectfully. That's the way we're supposed to give a defense. 
verses 16 through 17, where it says, And having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the, the will of, the, of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. The, the obvious thing, as we're learning here First Peter, those people that he was writing to, the, the obvious thing is that, that they, these people that he was writing to were doing good. And it is also obvious that the people were coming against them for doing good. They were trying and continuing to do what's good, and yet they were being oppressed and, and people were, were, were coming against them and he is encouraging them to continue to do good no matter what they're going through, no matter what's happening. Even though you were call, they, they were being called evildoers, they, even though they were being defamed and falsely accused as evildoers, he's saying, no, continue to do good regardless. Go against that nature that wants to come against them or fight back. Just do what is good and to, to do what is right. He doesn't mention it here, but he was, they were in good company because Jesus was called an evildoer when he was handed over to Pilate when they said, well, we wouldn't hand him over to you if he wasn't an evildoer. And those who were handing him over wanted him crucified. And in essence, what, what we see here is these men were calling good or evil good and good evil. <laughs> it says you are to have a good conscience even if the whole world comes against you. It is commendable before God, and we saw that in chapter 2. It is commendable before God to suffer for what is right. And that word again, commendable, means to give grace. It is good to give grace when they come against you. No Christian should ever suffer for being an evildoer because we have not been called to be troublemakers. We have been called to be peacemakers. So we should not be in that category. Even if they defame us, even if they say things about you, they will be put to shame, if not here, in the end, because you are not supposed to be an evildoer. And so we should not be surprised that suffering for what is good is what we have been called to. Let us not be surprised when we're being made to be out like evildoers when you're doing what's right. In verse 18, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sin." the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. This statement alone should, should remind us that every time that we suffer, whenever we go through something that is unjust, it should remind us that Jesus understands. He, he feels your pain. He, he's been through it as well. He suffered unjustly. His sole purpose for coming the first time was not, was not to show us what it means to live a good life, although he gave us a great example of how to do that. But his sole purpose for coming was to suffer, to die for our sins. Jesus' sacrifice 
would be a once and for all sacrifice, unlike the Old Testament, where the priests had to continually offer up innocent lambs time and time again, year after year, to pay for the sins of the people. No, Jesus suffered once and for all, but he suffered unjustly. He was innocent. He didn't have any sin, yet he became sin for us. And so he, he does this, this substitution, the just for the unjust, the innocent for the guilty, the righteous for the unrighteous. But you see, Jesus knew that this was the only way to bring us to God. That was the only way. He understood that, that if, if sinners were ever going to be in the presence of God, then he would have to die in order to bring them into the presence of God. He was being put to death in his flesh. It just doesn't seem right that Jesus would have to go through that. But that was the only way for you and I to be into or come into the throne room of grace. That, that, that phrase, to bring us to God, means to gain audience at court. To gain audience, audience at, at court. Now we have an access into the courtroom, let's say, but we have access into the throne room where the judge himself sits. We have an audience with him because of Christ. He brings us into the courtroom and says, go ahead and talk to him. He's on your side. <laughs> we get to t- talk to the very judge who has declared us not guilty. When the veil was torn in two, that access to the Father was ma- now made open and we have access to the throne room of grace to find grace each and every day as much grace as we need. That is the benefit that we have because Jesus brought us into that presence, into the judge himself. But it says that he was made alive by the Spirit. And some, again, there was a lot, like some controversy here. And I, I, I don't know if they meant the Holy Spirit. Some people believe that, that it was part of the Trinity, that Spirit. And some people think that, it, no, it refers to his Spirit. Um, I, I don't know which way to go on that. But this I do know. Uh, this is what Jesus said in John ten seventeen and 18. Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life and I'm, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This command I have received of my Father. Now, verses 19 and 20 are two verses that are very... There, there, there's been a lot of controversy or a lot of uh, interpretations, many interpretations of this. And, and, and I'm going to give you a couple and, and, or three. Uh, some believe that Peter here is referring to when Christ descended uh, or Christ, uh, he, he descended to, to Hades uh, in between or, you know, the death and the resurrection that he went to offer the people that were there before the flood a second chance of salvation. That's one interpretation. But that interpretation has no scriptural support because Hebrews 9.27 says, And it is appointed for man to die once, and after this is judgment. You see, there are no second chances after death. The other interpretation is that 
This refers to Christ descending down into hell after his crucifixion to proclaim victory for what had happened to those, those who were imprisoned, the, the imprisoned fallen angels that he talks about in Second Peter chapter 2. Now, even though that might make some sense to go down there and spike the football and say, booyah, you know, there's going to be victory here. This, it doesn't kind of line up because the references here of the spirits is more human than angels. And so the spirits that are described here by Peter are more than likely those who were disobedient when God patiently waited for them while Noah was finishing the ark, building the ark. They were the ones that were rebelling against the message that he was proclaiming to them. For 120 years it took around that time to build this ark. These people continued to be disobedient, disobedient. So it's not like God just like wiped them out. I mean, he gave them a chance, but he did say, he, he did proclaim that he would not always strive with man, that he would not always tolerate with, the, with their wickedness, and yet he extended his patience for 120 years. Now, it also refers to uh, the prophets having the spirit of Christ in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11, that the prophets in the Old Testament had the spirit of Christ. And so it's quite possible that he's describing that Noah, who is known as a preacher of righteousness in 2 Peter chapter 2, that the spirit of Christ preached through Noah to the ungodly people of that time. And now, as Peter was writing this, these were the spirits who were in prison awaiting their final judgment. So, so this kind of, this interpretation, this latter one, uh, seems to be, or to fit the general theme of the section that we've covered here from verse 13 to the end of the chapter. It's keeping with the unjust sufferings, the, the unjust persecution, Noah being the example of, of one who has committed himself in a course of action to do what God has called them to do and people coming against him. And so he suffered. He suffered for righteousness sake. He was ridiculed. People came against him. And yet he was able to serve God and do what God had called him to do with a clear conscience, knowing that he had given them what God told them to repent. You see, God didn't, or Noah didn't fear man. He obeyed God and he feared God. And in a sense, he, he sanctified the promises of God in his heart. He held those above anything else. He wasn't afraid of what man would do to him. He knew what God had placed on his heart. And so Noah was rewarded with a clear conscience in that the salvation of himself and his family. They, they, they were saved in the flood. And so verses 21 and 22, it says, There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven at the right hand of God Angels and authorities and powers have been made subject to him. So as Peter is talking about Noah and his family and how they were saved through water, it represents a type of baptism here. The flood 
washing away the wickedness and bringing forth the righteous. So baptism is a picture or a type of the old sin nature dying, being put to death and being swallowed up in the flood and emerging in the newness of life in Christ. In the days that Peter was writing this, baptism was a big thing, as it should be today. We are to be baptized, to, to, to outwardly express what's gone on in our lives already. It, it, it's that important to take a public stand for Christ. But you see, those guys, those people in those days who were being baptized, it meant that after baptism, suffering would probably follow because they were taking a stand for Christ. The act, the public act of baptism back then would would save them or prevent them from being tempted to, to sacrifice the good conscience of being baptized for the sake of not being persecuted. So, so they would not be thinking, well, if I go baptize, get baptized, well, people are going to know that I am, and so I'll just keep it on the down low over here, and nobody will persecute me. I'll just be one of those you know, closet Christians, those secret saints. No, when, when, when they went forth, they were proclaiming, hey, bring it on. Whatever, whatever will happen, I am committed to Christ. And I am telling you this by publicly acknowledging. And so they could care less about the consequences. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have this living hope that is within us. When someone comes out of the water in baptism, it is a picture of being made alive in the Spirit. Now that the flesh has been put to death and buried. It's all the symbolism of of dying and, and resurrecting. And so as Peter finishes this chapter here, he touches on Christ's birth or His coming the first time. His sacrifice, His resurrection, and the ascension, the complete gospel in a nutshell here, guys. A good place to, to, to kind of just share about what Jesus did. Well, he wasn't there for the birth, but you know what I'm saying. Now, if angels, authorities, and powers are subject, subservient to him, then we should be also. It shouldn't be a big deal for us to submit to God, to submit to Christ, because authorities and angels and powers are subject to him. And if we make or if we subject ourselves to him or are subject to him then then we shouldn't have a problem sub- submitting to the ordinances that he has called us to obey we, we, we shouldn't be having a problem submitting to the people around us if we're submitted to him after all we have been called to submit ourselves for the Lord's sake for this is the will of God And I just want to encourage you this morning as we close. Where, where, where are you at? Is Christ or have you set apart or sanctified the Lord God in your heart? Have you set Jesus in that prominent place in your heart this morning? Because if you haven't, then you need to. Because if Jesus is not the prominent or takes that prominent place in your heart, then what does or who does? 
And I can guarantee you, whatever you put there except for Christ will always let you down. You'll always be wanting in the end. And I want to encourage you this morning as we close in prayer that you would put Christ in that prominent place because that's what he deserves to be in that place. Amen? Let's stand as we close in prayer. Father in heaven, as we come before you, we're so grateful, Lord, once again, Lord, to be able to read through your word, to have your word speak to our hearts, Lord, to remind us of the things that you have called us to, Lord, even the sufferings. And I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord. Many of them are going through heavy trials, Lord. There's things in their lives that that are happening, Lord God, that they're suffering day in and day out with, Lord. I pray that, God, they would have that mindset, that you would prepare them for that mindset, that, Lord, you have not allowed anything into their lives that you don't know about, Lord. And they just need to submit to you, Lord, and come to you, Father, with their hurts, because you understand them, Lord. You've been treated unjustly, (laughs) as many are. And so, Lord, I just pray that, God, they would understand that you totally feel their pain, Lord. You understand them and you hurt with them, Father. And so strengthen my brothers and sisters as they go through this, Lord. I pray, God, that if there's anyone in here, Lord God, who has never put Jesus in that prominent place of their heart, I pray that this morning, Lord God, you would truly help their hearts to be open. Lord, they've come to church for some reason, whether they were dragged here or not, Lord. They're here to hear this. Father, I just pray that somehow, Lord, you would just capture their hearts and they would open their hearts. And right now, if, if that's you, if, if you're here this morning and Christians, you, you be praying. If that's you this morning and you know that you have not given Jesus that prominent place in your heart, then maybe this morning you need to do that. Maybe today that, that, that you would say, okay, Lord, I, I don't quite understand it, but I know that you haven't really been in my heart that way. And how I'm going to ask you is that you just raise your hand. I just want to pray for you. Is there anyone here who needs Jesus to be in that place of their heart? Is there anyone? Amen. Anybody else? There you go. Right on. Anyone else that, that, that's saying, I need Jesus to take that place? I just want to pray for you right now. Father, I pray for those who have raised their hands. Lord, I pray that this morning it would be different than any other time in their lives, Lord. That their hearts would, would, would just understand that you are willing to take control. And Lord, as, as they're, they're crying out right now, Lord, in the, in the simpleness of their hearts, to say, Lord, come in, take over. Lord, please, Lord, I pray that, God, you would show them yourself in such a powerful way that this morning, Lord, they would never be the same because of that. I thank you, Father, for them. For those of you who are Christians, who you've had had Christ in your heart and you know that you've let other things take that place and and you need to be in a place of saying, Lord, I'm so sorry. But you're walking with the Lord. but other things are more important. If, I, I want to pray for you too. Is there any of you that, that know, it's like, you know, Zeke, I, I, I'm not where I, sh- where I used to be and I need to have Jesus in that place. Is there anybody else? There you go. Amen. Many of you. 
I just want to pray for you as well. Father, these, my brothers and sisters, Lord God, who have truly been walking with you and desired you, Lord God, have allowed other things to to take that prominent place, Lord. And I just pray right now, Lord God, that as they look to you, that they would repent of those things, that they would ask you, Lord God, to take that place, that they would not allow anything else, Lord God, to take that place, but that they would be filled to overflowing in their hearts, knowing, Lord God, that you have called them that you love them, that you want to be their Lord and Savior in every aspect of their life. So please bless them, Father. And I thank you, Father God. Again, Lord, we're just so blessed to have you in our lives. Thank you so much that you love us, Lord, regardless. That that never changes, Lord. Lord, again, for those who are suffering, Lord, comfort their hearts. Remind them, Lord God, of your goodness and your grace. Be with them, I ask, God. Go with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. For those.